0: bass dude what's the bass (laughs) oh this
1: is a this is a stingray oh nice. this is a this is a 79 stingray have you ever played a stingray with flats dude do you know what i've barely played hardly any stingrays weirdly i mean i remember yeah i remember seeing the video of you doing like you did an interview i feel like with the ernie ball guys i did do that yeah yeah i remember i watched that what was that for? I totally watched that. I can't that. even remember what it was. What you was had that? a stingray. Did you did you end up giving it away or giving some of them away? Oh dude. We've given right. away
0: so many bases, it just turns into this massive big kind of <laughs> soup. A big soup. I'm like, I'm not sure, you know. And right. yeah. Oh, do you know what's really pissing me off at the minute? That those guys on Facebook. Do you know the, the the guys that have like well, whatever they're doing, they're doing some sort of like scam and they're like going around, like messaging people. So if anybody's listening and if somebody messages you on Facebook and they're like, hey, we're Scott's Bass Lessons, we're giving away at Bass, you just give, need to give us your bank details first. I'm actually, this is no shit. They're doing shit like this. Yeah. And they're trying to scam people. And I think that, and you obviously um, had the same experience when you get ran a giveaway for, I who sure was did. it with? Who were you running it with? It was Spectre. Spectre. Was it? Yeah, Spectre yeah, Bass. It was Spectre. These guys running around. Hey, I'm I'm Ian Allison. Give me your bank details. What the? Oh man. <laughs>
1: also, like a, a great tell if you're if you're wondering of like, oh, is this legit? Is, how is the how is the sentence constructed? Also, yeah. how many emojis are used? I, I remember like. <laughs> The all of the all of the stuff that came from the fictitious Spectre accounts when I ran a giveaway, like eight different Spectre accounts were created, and then people would get these, you know, DMs like, "Hello, congratulations, you have won the prize," and then there would be, you know, flower emojis and happy face <laughs> emojis, and people are like, "Is this legit?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" The scam is. I mean, of course, emojis. like, yeah, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, it unless. Uh, yeah, just check in and see. And no one, Scott or I or anyone from SBL, will never ask for your bank details <laughs> <Yeah>. ever.
0: <laughs> it's a bad day when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: Is that still is that still not resolved? No, no, it's still. Well, oh, it
0: might it might be by the time that we've done this. So, if anybody is listening in so. and you don't know, like, like we've we've done a couple of announcements on Instagram. We've probably done the same thing over on Facebook as well. Um, what what you have to do when these people crop up and start pretending to be you and then reaching out and contacting people and saying, hey, I'm from SPL. Give me your bank details. All of that crap, right? You've won a base. All I need is your bank details to give you the base. All of this stuff. (laughs) Simple. You actually report them to Facebook, but nothing happens. They just don't do anything. Like nothing. They literally don't give two monkeys about it. They're just like, yeah, whatever you know so it's it's we have and we've had we've reported them multiple times we've had like you know tons and tons of community members have reported them multiple times page is still up so now i think that we're trying to get the page taken down on some kind of sort of like trademark infringement or something because they're using the logo we can try and get it taken down that way because obviously the SPL oh. logo is a trademark. It's just bonkers, though. It's just it's so insane. Facebook, I'm so sorry. Get your shit together. <laughs> like, seriously. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to just call it another name and hopefully people will forget about how crap we did. <laughs> Come on. Oh.
1: oh, I know. I know. Oh. Come on. Yeah. Meta oh. Meta is all fine and good, but let's let's deal with uh, let's deal with some of the real problems. I mean, yeah, that that last giveaway that I did. I mean, you know, and my Instagram channel is a relatively small channel, um, and the Specter one isn't huge either. And there were, I think, I think we counted there were eight fictitious Specter accounts that were made wow. um, to scam that giveaway. And then once the giveaway was over, they all disappeared. And um, you know what? It was a bummer because it made me not
0: want to do one again. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it was such a huge pain in the ass. Were you were, um, were you reporting all of the pages? And my, my assumption is oh, because it's yeah. Facebook, they do squat about it. Did they just do nothing? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm not sure if they ended up doing something about it or if, you know, I mean... You know, what well, if you were a scammer, you would just move on to the next opportunity, you know. So yeah. I don't know if maybe they just deleted their own pages. I'm not sure, but the pages are now gone. Um, but yeah, it made me really
0: uh wary. They'll definitely delete their giveaway own giveaway thing. Yeah. They'll definitely yeah, delete their, their own. Sure. Yeah. Like because Facebook is just a big pile of steaming crap. But sorry, <laughs> Facebook. Sorry, Mark, if you're listening in. But seriously, I've yeah. just had sorry, it sorry. with it. Honestly, yeah, sorry, right. sir. I know it's not his <laughs> fault, you know. But I've just had it with it. I'm just so sick of it. Like, we're trying to do all of this awesome stuff. And then, you know, and, and look, and there's always going to be scammers out there. There's always going to And right. that's fine. You know, more power to the scammers. Go do your thing, Right. <laughs> Like, live that life but like if they if facebook just can't put up some kind of mechanism or have some kind of support in place to help people that oh i know just it's it's just incredibly naive i think on their part and i think that uh, like f- to go sort of like super nerdy should i do this should i go nerdy do you know what nps score? yeah please nps nps score is like how happy are your users with your product? And it's measured oh, by something sure. called NPS score. It's a really, really popular um, popular tool, probably the most well-used tool or well, well-known tool when it comes to taking the temperature of how popular your um, business is. And- and hours, by the way, is something like I think it's like eighty five or ninety percent, which is just incredible, which is amazing. That sounds good. Yeah, we did like an yeah. NPS yeah. thing for SPL, and it came out incredible. Anyway, but while I was researching NPS scores, um, it, it, Facebook's NPS scores <laughs> always been <like> just <laughs> the worst. It's right. just been the worst. But the actual this art, these articles that I, re, I was reading about it, it just showed how incredible the network effect of facebook was when they launched and the size that they've grown to because even though their net their mps score has always been just atrociously bad still they just completely dominated the heck out of everything you know they just yeah crushed everything so it's just yeah interesting anyway oh i'll stop bitching that <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> hey let me let me read you something. Let me read you something. Check this out. remember, okay, so episode um episode one forty five the Ups and Downs of Family Life as a Musician with Scott,
0: oh, yeah, they, they, people said some really nice stuff about that, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I got a lot of a lot of dms, a lot of messages about that. and remember, in there, we were talking about how you and I both struggle with being present oh. uh, because we love what we do so much. sometimes the big struggle with family um. Is just to be mentally present, not physically present because, hey, we're there. Yeah. Uh, but to be actually mentally present. And remember, and you said, if there's anybody out there that has the answer to oh, this, did, please.
0: Did, did somebody message in?
1: <laughs> yeah. Somebody oh, did. wow. What did they and, say? And well, I'll I'll read it to you. I mean, and, and here's the deal. There's no, you know, as I, I listened to that episode and I thought, you know, this is not something that we're going to just be able to cure, of course. Mm-hmm. This is just something that we have to live with and we have to manage. So, you know, I, Scott, I'm sorry, I don't have the cure in my hand here, <laughs> but I do have potentially a managing tool. So check this out. This is from Russell, who wrote in and said, um... Listening to the most recent SBL podcast, I have a mental slash digital exercise that used to help me leave work at work back when I was a chef, if you're interested. And in Ooh. all caps, I said, please. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, yeah. okay. So we use this method in my new corporate gig too. It's kind of like... Uh, an idea parking lot. What I do when I either left work or got home is I'd start a list of all the shit that was currently on my mind. Usually I'd open a notes on my phone and date it right when I pulled into the garage, then literally mind dump into that note. And then here's the hard part. Let it all go. I found my biggest fear was forgetting something good. So I'd find myself fixated on those ideas when I was supposed to chill with the family. That's the downside. LOL. The other key thing that if I found myself distracted by thinking of something on that list, I'd pop open my phone, highlight or star it. Mm. and. And I wonder if that's something, it's such a simple thing, right? And I have never done that. But my wife has talked about similar things. Like she uses Trello and gets these Trello boards all set up for all the things that she has to do so that she's not carrying it here.
0: And I don't know, have you ever tried anything like that? And has it worked for you? I'm a big fan of Trello, but I've never used it for that. But yeah, just shout out to Trello you're awesome yeah um it's like an it's not a note-taking app it's kind of sort of like a project management tool but it's great um, i haven't but i haven't but i turned to- but, to- but i totally i totally in terms of and I, and as you were reading through that and you said just brain dumping to get it out somewhere because and it was what he went into saying i'd, I'd get fixated on what i thought were good ideas and i was yeah. afraid that i was gonna you know and that's what i get fixated on it's that yeah. stuff it's either fixated on, on good ideas or stuff that I believe might be a good idea. Two right. things sometimes, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. fixating on what I think is a good idea and obsessing about it, or obsessing about something that I think it should have happened or I want to happen and hasn't happened or I don't think will happen. So, like all of you know, so it's definitely. So, yeah, I guess the the point is, are we fixated on some of this stuff just because we feel like we need to hold on to it? And if we put it in or on or, yeah, into something like a note taking app and just dump it in there, then we can revisit it and we don't have to sort of like necessarily cling on to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea. Have you tried it? No, because I just got that. I mean that
1: you know um right now as we're recording this episode, that episode just came out this past Friday. So only a couple days ago. So it's very fresh. I think um Russell sent that DM maybe yesterday or the day before, but it's really given me it's given me pause and I wonder if that would be helpful. I think for me, it's just, it's so much. It's the culture. I want to be with the instrument. I want to, you know, there's so many things. It's not just ideas that I have. It's, you know, the, the amount of time that I want to spend, you know, with the instrument. But I do think though, that especially thinking about like content ideas, I'm always running, you know, video stuff, thinking about, uh, the next video to make or like playing on something and like sounds and pedals and pedalboard builds and all that. I think if I could mm-hmm. maybe dump that into a note, it might help um, leave it, leave it, you know, for another time. And he said the hardest part is that you have to then let it go. After you do the dump, you have to then for that next, you know, 12 hours or whatever it is until you revisit it, you have to let it go and that that's the hard part. But
0: I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. I do like it, yeah. I think that, I think it's a great idea. I was thinking about something else I I really suffer with as well which doesn't help. Like, I feel real ADD sometimes. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm just i sort of like batting around a million ideas and and my attention is just going like back and forth, back and forth. It's actually a little crazy sometimes. (laughs) I even piss myself off. I'm just like, really? Can you not just focus on one thing? Does it have to be five things all at once? Yeah. (laughs) You know, so yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to give it a go, actually. Um, Was the guy's name Russell? Russell. Yeah. Russell. Cheers, Russell. If you're listening, Russell, thanks so much. Actually, Russell has given me an idea. How about we do a daily podcast Ian, called Ask Scott and Ian? Oh, right. I love Check it out. And we, there's something called Speakpipe. I don't even know if this thing exists anymore, but it, you put it on the website, and then people can go to the website and they can record a question. And then once a week, we could just get together. We could answer seven questions that people, and we'll play there. We'll actually play. The clip of them asking that question in the podcast. It. They'll ask. They'll ask the question. We can batch it because obviously I like batching the content. We'll batch yes. it, and then we could have a daily podcast. Let's go. <laughs> I think that's that really amazing. good. Yeah, I, yeah. I've been thinking about doing sort of like content recently. Not, not, not. Well, yeah, it, differently and more of it. I was watching a YouTube video. of This guy, I really, um, I really admire. From a, a, like, he's a business guy. And he just, and he's, it, and sometimes I get lost in the complexity of business and decisions. Right? You, you know, all of this. Sure. Listen to this guy. He just tells it. Just he just he just cuts through the shit and just tells it straight. He's like, you know, if you are if you are into creating content as a business, if that is really, um, you know. It, it's really a, a really important part of your strategy as a business is like creating content. He says, just do 10 times as much. And then he just paused. He just, and, and then he said, no. He said, before you come up with any excuses of why or if you should, just do 10 times as much. He said, that's the answer. I was like, wow. Yeah. Maybe that is the answer. Maybe that is the answer. Well, so anyway, we we're should about do to find podcast. out. We should do a daily podcast. <laughs> let's go. Actually, I no. actually There's a great podcaster called Pat Flynn who runs a podcast called Smart Passive Income. And he has a weekly podcast, but he also does a daily podcast as well. Mm. Yeah. Based on that concept of he's got Speech Pipe. I think it's called Speech Pipe. It might be called something else. Speech Pipe. People leave him questions and stuff. We should do it, man. We should oh, do it. Oh,
1: let's go. I, I mean, I'd be so in. Yeah, of course. Let's do it. Yes. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a
0: go. So, yeah, everybody's like. Ian Scott, like, what are you even talking? Like, we're just having a random conversation. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, you're probably used to it by now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is how this podcast opens. <laughs> every every episode. yeah, every single time. Yeah, you every, know we're
1: going to get there. We, yeah. You guys, you know we're going to get. You know we're going to get to the meat and potatoes, but there's a bit of a waffle at the beginning, right?
0: Yeah. Well, today we are going to be talking about like last last in the last episode we talked about the ten commandments to get in the gig. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments to keep in the gig. But mm-hmm. before we even go there, tell me about the Wilcock bass. Oh, Wilcock bass? Yes. Yeah, and get you know, it out.
1: I have it here, too. Um, I just did a big unboxing video. But if, uh, if anybody's watching the video content, I, I pulled this out. It's so beautiful. It's black. It, you know, as you can see, it's jet black. Um, high gloss and then the back of the neck is just insane. It's um roasted maple, yeah, flamed maple is it, is
0: it roasted maple. Is
1: yeah, and the body is roasted too. Viv Wilcock was telling me that um it's alder, it's roasted alder and roasted maple. And then the fingerboard is this stuff called rock light, which is like a, uh, oh, like, right, a yeah. Yeah, like a yeah, like a wood composite product. So the whole base is just like, completely moisture free. And the idea with, um, drying out or roasting wood is that then it's, it sort of caramelizes, it kind of gets stiffer and it becomes way more impervious to weather change, climate stuff. The idea is you have to adjust it less. And then the idea too, is that it's more resonant. It's maybe sustains a little bit longer. Um, And you know, whether or not all of that stuff is true, I will say that this neck feels like a piece of graphite. I mean, you can't move it. It's, it's crazy, oh, really? yeah, and and it's and it's beautiful too. Um, but yet, it still is wood. It isn't graphite, right? Uh,
0: so, uh, what, kind um, what kind of vibe is yeah. the? What kind of vibe is the? Like when you play it, is it? Is it yeah, like? Do you, do you feel like it's a P bass thing or yeah, is it a jazz it. thing or is it just or is it its own thing? So
1: I have it plugged it's got in, in now. Thing going on? Yeah. yeah. So this is the neck pickup, and the idea. Yeah, it almost has kind of like a hollow body thing in that neck pickup. And um, Robin Malarkey, or Rob Malarkey, who plays with Jacob Collier, I guess apparently played like a a mid-70s Telecaster bass, which is one of those ones that has the neck pickup like smashed close up to the edge of the fingerboard and loved the kind of like woody, almost hollow body vibe of that. But then, too, there's a sweet spot pickup that isn't really like a bridge pickup. It's more kind of like in the spot where a P is. And then it leans a little bit more throaty. P bass vibe. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's cool, right? And then in the middle, it's kind of scooped out. Yeah. Kind of like the jazz bass thing. But I really love that neck pickup. I think it sounds so cool and Have you warm, tried on a gig yet? Yes. I played it with uh, this artist named Jeremy Messersmith that I play with. And I, it was like a little theater gig. And I usually play my Starfire. I have a 60 Starfire that I play on that. And I played this, and it was really cool. Um, the Starfire is very short-sustaining, but this thing has all of this, like, these notes just hang. Yeah. It's really pretty. Oh, it's um, lovely, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's kind of glassy. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm I'm really enjoying oh. it, and there'll be a big uh, a big unboxing and kind of playthrough where I play play along to some grooves on the Groove Trainer and stuff that'll be coming out on SBL. I think you know relatively soon. Oh, amazing! And that is that model called the Malarkey. Yes, this is the Malarkey, named after Rob Malarkey. And there's a great uh, Viv told me that. He wanted it to be named the Malarkey and signed off on that um, as a as a bit of a as a bit of a nudge to his wife who didn't take his last name. He said, "Well, something's going to have my last name," <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it may as well be this bass dude. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Yep, yeah. Yep. And if anybody wants to check out Rob Malarkey, you'll find him on YouTube. He's not super present, but he's got some videos on there that are definitely worth checking out. And he's an obscene obscenely good player like yes he is next level he is next level he is just crazy crazy good he's um jacob collie's bass player but oh, god damn that guy he is so good he's a monster. he actually went to leeds he went to leeds college of music so when i moved to leeds rob just moved away so oh, it was really interesting geez. so yeah because i moved to leeds in my early 20s i'd have been like 22 21 22 i'd just i'd been working on a cruise ship for like six or seven months done that whole thing and and before that so i spent a, a year working in a theater you know in the pit doing that thing then i went on to the cruise ships and did a seven month stint on a cruise ship then moved to leeds and so i like moved to leeds i was like yeah i'm gonna get involved in the scene and stuff like that and and rob was like a legend when, when I moved to Leeds, everybody was like, "Oh, oh, God. yeah!" He's like a legend, right? You know, he was like he's the guy. The, the guy, yeah. He's the guy. Not not only just the bass guy. He's the guy on yeah. the scene. Just right. like full stop. He just yeah. He was just, and I think that he's a great. He's actually. I think that his his first instrument might be keys. There was, you know, these things. Yeah, because he's like a multi-instrumentalist, right? Yeah. He is, yeah, he's a good guitar player. I think he's a great keys player as well, and he's just got bonkers. Ah, so good. Yeah. So good. (gasps) But check him out. Yeah, Check him out. I'm trying to think of a great clip. There's a trio clip of him playing. I think it's um, Ellen Rigby. Oh, cool. With Jacob Collier live on YouTube, which is great to check out. Oh, oh, yeah. I think would be such a great song. Oh, so it's good. So yeah. great, isn't it? It's so good. <laughs> yes. It's obscene. The Beatles were so obscene. They were so Have you obscene. seen the Have you seen the the film called Yesterday? I think it's called Yesterday.
1: Um is that the one where the guy is Yeah. He's he's yeah. doing the Beatles stuff and it's as if the Beatles never existed? Is it that?
0: Yeah. So the, yeah, have you seen it?
1: No. No, I haven't. I I've, I've wanted to, but I haven't seen it yet. No
0: dude you've got to see it so okay. the 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 yeah the, the idea is that he is a failing singer-songwriter and he's you know and he's really trying hard and he's and yeah. it just it, it's got a really great british vibe to the film actually he's trying his best you know like he's his manager who's sort of like he's one of his best mates yeah yeah like goes to all of his gigs Along with sort of like three dogs and a couple, a couple of old dudes. And yeah, do you know right. what I mean, like literally nobody. Right. bush Bushweeds at his gigs, you know, and um, and he's <laughs> and it's like a few. It's probably sort of like twenty minutes into the film, and he's just hit rock bottom. <laughs> do you know what I mean? He's just in sort of like he does a party for like a bunch of six-year-olds, and they start heckling him. Do you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. He's yeah. like hit rock bottom, and he falls off his bike and like knocks himself out. And when he comes around. It, as it's sort of like the story transpires that nobody like basically there's all of the stuff the beatles never existed right so whatever happens this weird thing happens in time with him falling off the bike and the beatles and all of their songs never existed but he knows that obviously he knows all the stuff well, he doesn't really know all the wanted. songs but he He's the only one. Yeah, yeah. So he's trying to remember the songs, and he's like, <laughs> Eleanor Rigby, and, 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 be, oh, and basically so freaking, he basically becomes freaking. It becomes a superstar at the back of it. But there is a really great clip in the film where Ed Sheeran and uh, the, the main character, and they're both Ed Sheeran's playing himself, and the main character is um, is obviously playing himself, and they're. They're backstage, and Ed Sheeran challenges him to a songwriting contest, kind of backstage <laughs> in front of all, his, all of his friends. Oh. And, and Ed Sheeran's like, "Come on, we've got—you've got 20 minutes." He said, "We're just going to go away, write your best song, and then we'll play it in front of everybody." So Ed wow. Sheeran goes away, write, writes his song. This dude goes away, and obviously he's—he's he's just going to use a Beatles song. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. Ed Sheeran right, right. comes. Ed Sheeran comes back and and plays this great. song. And I was like, listening. I thought this is a great song. Obviously, it was you know written for the film and stuff like. But plays this song, and then the the, the main character plays. I think it's like I think it might be yesterday. Or it's just this phenomenal song. I'm like, yeah. oh, this Beatles song. And yeah. it's like, It's so well written when you hear it against something that has like a modern day, everything's kind of diatonic. You know, that's very Ed Sheeran, right? Yes. But with with the Beatles, it just wasn't like that. It was really, really, the harmony was just so interesting. and That's where he plays The Long and Winding Road. And it is phenomenal. The Long and Winding Road. (laughs) And it's so, the harmony is so beautiful. Oh. You've got to watch it, dude. Oh, I will. You've I will. I will. That's been
1: one on the list. And and uh and speaking speaking of films tonight, I have booked myself a ticket to set? a place to to go see Dune. <laughs> I'm going to go see Dune tonight by myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a late a new, a new show. your own, yeah.
1: Yeah, on my own. It's just going to be me. I actually love seeing movies by myself. It's funny because my wife was like, are you uh, are you going to bring anybody? Or I'm like, nope, I'm just going to go. I'm like, the, the only person I'd bring to this is Scott. So, Scott, you're going to be there in spirit with me seeing this movie. Have
0: you seen that yet? I'll be there, man. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't yeah. seen it. I'm absolutely bursting to see it. I um, Do you know when you were saying that I love seeing movies on my own? I'm like I do actually like watching movies on my own, but I love watching gigs on my own. Mm, in fact, yeah. to the point where I actually don't like going to gigs with people sometimes because they freaking talk. I'm yeah, like watching wanna... the band, man. Sure. <laughs> and you know who the worst is? My wife! Oh god! Oh! There's so many times. We were in New York together. Oh, and I know I took her along to this gig. I yeah. can't remember who was playing, but it was just sort of like... It was just. It might have been down like 55 bar or something like that. Actually, it, this this has happened on multiple gigs. I've watched gigs with like... I went down to 55 bar many times. At Smalls, which is another great club in New York, many times. And yeah. my wife's been to all of these places many times. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be there just sort of like watching whoever I... And Lisa will be sort of like, hey, so... <laughs> what do you think we should do tomorrow? I'm like, dude! This is now a life-changing moment. Yeah, now is not the time, yeah. I could have uh, been in 55 Bar, and I was, like, a massive fan of, like, Mike Stern and Richard Bonner and, like, all them guys, right? And she's just, and to uh, her, these, these are probably just sort of like... You know, I don't know. Just some other guys.
1: This is some guys playing the yeah. gig, man. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. she doesn't give two who, yeah. and, and she's <laughs> really. She'll just speak to anybody. So I had this really funny time. We were in 55 bar, and and it was and like Lincoln going. No, not Lincoln Goins. Lincoln Goins was playing another night. This night it was Richard Bonner and it was Mike Stern, and they were doing wow. kill a killer gig. And, like, every sort of, like, minute, Lisa would be like, but i not be like, dude, dude. <laughs> well, anyway, so in the break, I'm like, oh, I need to... I think I was smoking at the time. I was like, I'm going to go have a cigarette outside, and then I'm going to come back. So Lisa's like, okay, it's, two, it's in January. So she stays inside the 55, and I go outside for a cig, have this cigarette, come back in. She's like, there... Like in amongst Mike Stern and Richard Bonner, like taking <laughs> se- taking selfies and stuff. I'm like, what is
1: unbelievable? God? Oh, you, yeah. you need her. She's the icebreaker. She's the she's the oh, social she's icebreaker. Great, yeah.
0: <laughs> she's great, man. She's great. Anyway, enough of my uh, story. Yeah, that's great. Should we do it? The tank yeah, Commandments sure. for
1: keeping the gig. Let's let's keep that so
0: gig. Yeah, let's keep the gig so If you were listening last week, you'll have known that we did the Ten Commandments to getting the gig. If you didn't, I'm going to give you a quick run through. And this is in terms of getting the gig. So, first off was, number one, community is everything. Get involved in your area, jam nights, open mic nights, local gigs. Okay, anything you can, build that community. Number two, don't be afraid of taking low-paying gigs. Mm -hmm. And I went on to talk about how it is a free trial. actually... Was watching another YouTube video of uh, somebody I follow online um, that's not in the music space, in the business space, and he and it really made me think about this point. Actually, he he was asked a question. The guy was like, "What what what do you think you know up and comers should do? People that want to be entrepreneurs or get into business?" And he was like just go find somebody and try and work for free. I can do a better job of it. And I was like, wow, it kind of reminds me of, you know, what we were talking about last week. If anybody's freaking out and saying we're devaluing, you know, music, please go listen to um, the conversation last week. We are definitely not devaluing anything. Okay. Uh, Number three is have a level of visibility online, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, that is your CV. Number four is create your own projects. Don't wait for the doorbell to ring. Number five was learn tunes and repertoire, whether it be in jazz, pop, rock, metal, or, you know, whatever, but it makes you more employable. Number six was learn to read and write charts. Notational is optional, but obviously it's a bonus if you can do. Number seven, invest in your sound, because people love a great sounding bass. That means, you know, get a a decent sounding bass, a great amp. Don't have your amp break down on stage like oh. my friend did and get sent off stage doing the walk here. of shame. Same here. Oh, Number eight, <laughs> be a great communicator via email and text. Have fast and prompt replies. Number nine, my favorite, get a bloody driving license. <laughs> uh, number 10, be curious, ask questions. Don't be that silent kid at the back of the class. And the bonus tip was practice your ass off whenever you can. Ultimately, your bass playing is when the book stops. So... The Ten Commandments to keep ten, in the gig. Ten and a little extra.
1: And I want to just mention too to anybody listening, if anybody listening thinking, oh well, Scott and Ian here on their, you know, on the on the high podcast horse talking about this, I wonder if they are managed to do all those things successfully throughout their lives. I'll just speak <laughs> for myself. No, I mean there are things on that list that you say, Scott, that I'm like. Ugh. Like I have specific stories that I go back to and I remember and I go, oh, and we talked about a little bit of that in the last episode. But I just want everyone to know that this isn't us saying, here's what we have learned and we execute flawlessly at every gig and we're, you know, we're able to get all of the gigs. And this is just almost um, I feel like some of this stuff is talking to ourselves too, right? Reminding oh, yeah, us. Sure. Of yeah. what the most important things to build a career to get the gig is. So, if anybody's listening and thinks, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, you guys have it all together, I suppose we do not. Or I should just say, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> These I are still not. things I that I'm not. thinking about.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Okay, so the ten commandments to keeping the gig. Yeah. Let's number keep one. It. Um, number one is prepare your, and it depends on where you, you know, where you're from, but prepare your ass off when possible, or prepare your ass off when possible, if you're from the UK. <laughs> uh, you've talked about the importance of this, Ian, you know, in terms of, it doesn't matter whether it's a low-paying gig or a high-paying gig, but just do the homework when you can. Do you want to f- speak to that?
1: Oh, I mean, that is, it's huge. It's huge. And of course, I have had times when I've done it and have have really, really enjoyed First of all, if you do the prep, you're going to enjoy the gig. And I feel like there is nothing worse than have having not done the prep, being on the gig, and being really tied to charts, or really just being in your own head of thinking like, oh no, what, what's going to come next in the bridge? That alone is just a bad experience. And here we are practicing, you know, it, to, to be on stage for 45 minutes or whatever. So why not? That's the time that we're all working toward, right? So why not make yeah. that time wonderful? Another thing, a side benefit that is actually a bigger, more Looming career benefit in the end that you can't see at the moment is when you've done that prep, there will be people that will notice the band leader, the drummer, the keyboard player, and then that will upload you into things that you cannot see at the moment. Case in point, I've maybe I've told this story, but briefly... I did a gig with a drummer named Michael Bland, who's a Minneapolis institution, was in Prince's band for a long time in the New Power Generation. It was a $50 gig. It was a ton of work. But because it was Michael and because I just, I needed to do it, I said, yes, I'm prepping, I'm playing hours and hours, getting my sounds together, the parts together, Who is in that band, but my dear friend now, Elliot Blafus, who happened to be Eric Hutchinson's MD, and I got... As a result, the Eric Hutchinson gig, which I've been in for geez, almost the last seven years now. Best gig that I've ever had in terms of a touring thing. And it was because I put the prep in for the $50 gig, right? For the gig that I thought, oh, I wonder if this is gonna go anywhere. But I knew that if I said yes, you gotta met you gotta have your yes be yes and I knew that I had to do great at it, and then someone noticed. And so it's yeah. huge. It has legs, so prep for everything. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've had yeah. that experience too.
0: Absolutely, and I think that to your point, I think that there's a secondary, the secondary element is, well, first, like primary is like obviously prepare your tail off whenever possible, and the secondary part of that is, and that is, and when it comes to how much you're getting paid, that does not dictate how much effort you put into it. You know, you can't, you know, you, you can't have a re- your effort can't be tied to the, the reward financially from the gig. So if you're getting paid $50, you still have to put in the same amount of effort as if it was a $1,000 gig. Yes. You just have to, because the reality is that on that $50 gig, you're gonna be playing with probably somebody that you're gonna work with in the future who or will not. Be the gateway right. into or not <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, who will be yeah who will be the gateway into you know better paying gigs you know more career, whatever I mean it's sort of like you will feel a progression but the most important thing is that you don't you don't ratchet back your the effort that you put in if it's just a lower pay gig because it's a it's a really really Big mistake to do 100%. And and can we speak
1: yeah. to this? I mean, that the prep thing, we both just spoke about it as kind of, or I was thinking about it more in terms of getting the gig. But do you have any thoughts of, around this prep thing in terms of say, say you've been on a gig, whatever it is, is it church? Is it a cruise ship? Is it a wedding band? Is it, is it a high level artist? Say you've been on that gig for a year. What does preparation have to do with keeping the gig?
0: I think it's just, it's because of the, what's the word? When you get on that gig and you've just, and you turn up and everybody can see that you've just killed it and you put in all of the homework, they will be like, this is the guy or this is the girl. This is, you know, to to move forward into the sunset. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you just gain so much confidence of other players when you do that that it will really relieve anxiety on their side and, and make them feel really comfortable in in terms of working with with you on an ongoing basis.
1: Yeah, and and check this out too. Here's here's just another tip. I remember so after I was with um, Eric for a couple of years. You know, here's the thing, you've done all the prep, and then you, then you sort of coast. So there's this big uphill thing, and then when you've been in the gig, now you're coasting. Everyone knows the set, everyone, everyone, you know, you know it. And then, then it's up to you to find out how your band leader or artist likes things to move. Is it just, is it going to maintain this level? Or like with Eric, he would sometimes say, after we'd been doing a tour for a couple of weeks, he would say, hey, tonight everyone try something new. Just one thing, try something new. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Not every band leader has that priority. Not every band leader wants you to try something new. But I thought, oh, that's... So what it made me do is start to think about the tunes and really go in and say, like, how could I make the pre-chorus... Like, I haven't thought about the pre-chorus of this tune. How could I make that pre-chorus pop a little more? Or how... Or what's some space that I could leave that really highlights the keyboard, right? So for me, it's, it's been about um, preparation, even into the gig, it's been about revisiting that material and wondering, are you doing your best? There's probably room for growth at every stage. Even though even if you think the show is killing, right? And if you then talk to your band leader and say, "Oh, hey, I was thinking, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to try this new thing." And they respect that. Oh boy, then that just shows them that you're in it, that you're still thinking about it, that you're not just thinking about whatever you're going to do after this tour. Right? That's yeah. that's a big thing to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, huge, huge on all fronts, yeah. I, like i think it's 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 it you have to well it kind of sort of like feeds into something else actually that's going to come up so I'm not, i won't oh, talk yeah, about yeah, it yeah. i was about Great. to sort of like get into it but yeah but absolutely and also when you're on those gigs you are going to be given um material to work on and you know like new material yeah just you know again it's like prepare your ass off when it comes to that you you want to be turning up and, and you want to relieve anxiety a lot of it you know when it comes to keeping the gig it's like relieving anxiety on whoever's running that gig it's like relieving anxiety for them and if you prepare whether it's a new gig or you've had that gig for a while and you're learning some new material when you've prepared it just relieves anxiety for whoever's running the gig and it means it makes them feel like you give a shit and you're doing your best the best job you can um, and in it's number great. two, actually, on, on this list, number two, and this is where I'm really crap, actually, but I, I do know um, a lot of people or a few musicians around here that are great with this. And people like my wife, for instance, who used to book a lot of musicians, mm. this was really important to her. It was number two, be early to everything. Oh, be early. yeah. to be five minutes early. Don't be the guy or the girl that's always late because yep. it freaking drives people around the bend yes it really does because it increases anxiety are you an early bird Ian are you excited? you know I'm always to the wire a little bit crap with it to be honest
1: i I, I have tried to I, I think it varies for me um I have <laughs> I did a, I did a story on Instagram I don't know probably about 2 years ago now that that a lot of people were like what are you talking about I actually so I've tried to be the early guy but I turned up to a session once you know 20 minutes early went in and that actually stressed out the engineers so much because he didn't have the stuff patch he was like oh you're here and <laughs> <laughs> and it was at his house <laughs> and and so you know now I'm in his house, and he's like, "Oh uh, all right, hold yeah. on, and he wasn't ready for me so i think I think it's just contextual. I totally agree yeah. that if there's a call time. Um, you know, you don't want to be the guy showing up last minute and plugging in a bunch of stuff. And when, you know, the band is like waiting around for you. I've had that experience at studios where the yeah. band is ready and I kind of show up maybe, you know, 10 minutes before. But everybody got there 30 minutes before. And I kind of feel like Ooh, they're kind of waiting on me a little bit. But I think it's just I think it's contextual. Um, you know, the best thing to do is just like. Yeah, err on the side of early—it's certainly better than airing on the side of late. Yeah, that's for yeah, sure.
0: Then just don't be late. Just don't yeah. be late, because it—yeah, it sucks for everybody. Yeah, it, it does. sucks for everybody. Especially, I'm not sure. Have you ever worked with anybody that's always late? Of course. And to, and, and when you're traveling somewhere, it always sucks, doesn't it? When oh, because it just adds, and everybody's <laughs> there time. waiting to go. Yeah, and it, yeah, and you everybody's like, ah. Yeah, this. Yeah, so maybe yeah. it should, maybe that shouldn't be be early to everything. Maybe it should be like don't be late to everything. Yeah. yeah, you know. I think that's right. I think it is contextual. Yeah. Number three, you'll know this one. Just don't be too loud.
1: Oh man, that's that's really good. <laughs> don't be that's loud.
0: really good. Oh, yep. don't don't be too loud. Um, I'll will give this one. Um, I'll give this one some context. It's for bass players for whatever reason. It's actually quite easy to be to, to kind of swamp people with the low end and just yes. to be too loud. And I know two. Really, really, really well-known bass players that everybody listening to this um, podcast will have heard of, both who have lost gigs, great gigs, with super famous artists because they were too loud on stage. I believe that. The the struggle is real. And it is. (laughs) I like to be loud. Like, I like to be loud. And I think that, like, a few of my friends have actually, you know, they really lean into, like, having in-ears to help them with that, even if they're on a gig that doesn't necessarily need in-ears. Do you know what I mean? Like, they could just get by. There's, you know, sure. It's not like a big gig or anything like that. But they'll use in-ears just to give them a little bit more um, so they can actually hear the bass just a little bit more. Right, you know? the clarity like, have of the notes. Or- like that? Yeah, exactly, oh. yeah. Because otherwise, you just kind of sort of... It sits underneath everything. Right. Everybody else can hear it as much as they want to. But as a bass player, you can't hear it as much as you want to. Sure, yeah, hey in the ass.
1: This is this is like such a... It's a tale as old as time, right? I mean, I think the volume thing... It's so interesting. Like, I've heard, you know, there's the 55-bar the set that, like, talks about, oh, you know, setting up pedals like a DOD meat box or some kind of low-end thing to step on at the right moment yeah. and blow up the PA. And, and there's a really interesting thing in that kind of, like, jazz world where it's these huge dynamic explosions. But the world that I play in, like, the more pop, rock world... Is way more about like even levels. And I mean, I remember once I had, you know, a bunch of bass boost on a preamp and I had, you know, a big, big octave pedal sound. And I was working with a great front of house guy named Cody Anderson who did stuff for Prince. And I remember, you know, stepping yeah. on something to make this moment explode. And after the gig, he was like, What are you doing? And I was like, What do you mean? He's like, <laughs> He's like, He's like, dude, I mean, he's like, This is not some little bar, man. He's like, I've got subs on Ox here so I can send. Tons of low end to the, like, when you send me a 10 dB boost of low end, he's like, that's some Bush League stuff, dude. Don't do that. And I was like, whoa, because I've been listening to these players that were playing in the, you know, these like famous jazz bass players who are like, oh, yeah, you step on the DoD meat box and stuff explodes. And that it's people cry. Yeah, it's, you know, maybe in a little in a little PA in a little place that doesn't have big subwoofers. But it's more about like respect. It's contextual. Maybe that works in that small club. But for me, I was trying to do that in the wrong environment. Right. And so I've never had a big issue with being too loud on stage for people. If anything, I think I err on the side of being maybe a little too quiet and I get asked to turn up. Um, and that's always better, I think, than being asked to turn down. But I really don't want to be the guy that's too loud. Um, but what I have struggled with is, you know, I'm, I play with all these effects and stuff. Over the years, I've struggled with levels. So sending front of house the right thing. So that they're not getting exploded with the big fuzz sound, yeah, 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 right. So that you know you're you're sending consistency, no matter kind of what sound you're using, if it's a big aggressive fuzz sound or a or a big you know octave pedal thing, that still the levels are within like a three dB range, and that's something that you can do at home and just watch meters in a DAW or on a preamp and just kind of see when you're stepping on that stuff, what is it doing? Is it is it creating a huge boost at forty hertz that that you're not really hearing it? home but you're it's going to explode in a giant pa system i don't know i think (laughs) that's you know that's worth considering too but yeah i think if you're the person i'm thinking right now about a context where there's a guitar player that i play with on a regular basis and he is perpetually too loud and it took a while for the band to like even even address it and in some bands it's probably like hey turn down but this band it's we're in the midwest everybody's sort of like polite and kind of walking on eggshells and and then it was this (laughs) huge issue and it just shouldn't be right like just err on the side of caution with your volume and and if you and if people need to hear more of you they'll ask you for that and that is so much better than being asked to turn down i think yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And do you, um, if you are a little quiet, do you ever, like, what have you done in the past where you've been struggling to hear yourself? Already? Yeah, right. Like, do you I just do. kind of struggle on and you're like, ah, if I turn up, I'm just going to be, you know, it's going to be too loud? Or, sure. Like, how do you combat that? Yeah.
1: I, I always want to be at a level, I hate feeling like I'm so quiet that I'm hitting the bass too hard. I play with a pretty light touch, and so I always want to have enough horsepower behind me so that I'm not overplaying and like clacking the bass. I want to kind of turn up so where I can kind of play comfortably, and even, and I don't know, That's I don't actually feel uh, an issue with that too much. I've done a bunch of in-ear gigs, Um, In church and on pop tours and stuff. And that stuff's cool, too. Although, sometimes there you don't feel it as much, right? If you don't have an amp on stage, you just have ears. But I've gotten used to that, too. Um, I don't know. I think uh, once I did a TV gig, it was in Canada, where um, at the last minute, there was just no bass amp. And there were no headphones and no way to monitor the bass at all. So I literally played without hearing a single thing it was as if you have a bass on your lap that is plugged into nothing and it was for tv you just couldn't hear yourself not at all and so i just looked at my hands <laughs> and thought god i oh, hope this is in so weird, weird. <laughs> you know like i think it's in G. So you know like <laughs> but but i will say this the more that you have prepped Especially if it's a parts gig. I mean, if it's an improv gig and you really need to hear yourself because everything is new, it might be a different thing. But I will say, if it's a parts gig where you're playing bass lines, um, I think that if you've done a lot of the work on the front end, you don't need to hear yourself actually as much or maybe as clearly as you think you do. In fact, sometimes it's kind of a fun exercise to even turn down to where you struggle a little bit and then see. if you're playing and kind of keeping it light and keeping it together, and then you start to notice some of the other players around you maybe even a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I find that when my volume seems to be a mix instead of like, it's just tons of me, I find that I actually am able to kind of get into the music a little more than if I just have me kind of cranked and I'm just hearing me and the drums. Um, That's satisfying in a way. But sometimes when I turn down, I find that I like, Oh my God, I've never listened to the backup singers in this moment or, you know, I've never listened to the keys player play play this thing. So I think, you know, as long as you're prepared I think the volume thing um you're able to be more uh judicious you know and and a little bit more um level headed about the volume thing that said i haven't played in tons of improv contexts where I feel like my sound and my dynamic and my like immediacy of hearing my sound is really, really important. It's kind of like a it. lot of things where it's like well-worn lines that I really know, and then in that case, yeah, yeah. the volume isn't maybe as important to me. But I don't know what about you? Got it. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. Uh, yeah, like I've definitely struggled. I, I still struggle with that. I've I haven't found out like a solution really. I have sort of like messed around with just sometimes, which works well. On, on the gig, you know, sort of like, if I can, like, me personally, I love it when I've got in-ears and a big old cab behind the me. the best. You yeah, know, a big the trouser best. flapper. You know, your pants are just flapping away. <laughs> your pants yes. are just, like, flapping like a flag. You know, that's when yeah, exactly that. Like, a good day for me is where I've got, like, my in-ears and a turn-up, and it's just like a fridge, like an Ampeg 8 by 10 with like a big old valve you know what i mean like an ampeg head or an Aguilar, oh, do you know the old the yeah yes. yeah like that that's for me like versus on the flip side not <laughs> like i'm sure you've done this before man you've turned up and you're not allowed an amp or whatever so yeah. no amp you have to plug into a di and then and then <laughs> like you hear the monitor mix and you're just like whoa <laughs> is you're like what's that weird what's that (sighs) weird instrument playing you're like that's my bass and it sounds sort of like a detuned banjo
1: yes that (laughs) That is awful and typically like monitor engineers will will high pass those wedges so that they don't blow them up right so that everything under 100 hertz is filtered out (laughs) typically that's the you know and then you're just like well you know, okay, this is going to be a terrible game. Yeah. No, that's a drag to have a bad sound that you can hear really clearly is such so a bummer. Bad. I almost so would rather bad. than like turn the monitor off and just and just almost like feel it in the house rather than hear the like tinny, terrible, like 10 inch. Absolutely, <laughs> you
0: absolutely. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I had yeah. a real sort of like uh, a debate with the monitor engineer out in Montreal. I was doing the uh doing something for the Grand Prix out there years ago and um, f- for Ferrari. And uh, we were doing some sort of like event for Ferrari and it was really cool. And we were really looking forward to it. But the monitor engineer, oh, like everybody else was fine. It was just a bass thing. Oh. He was just sort of like, yeah, that's the sound. And I was like, dude, you've got to come and hear the sound. Like, I'm, I'm telling you it's bad. Like, but you've got to come and hear it for yourself. So he came over to the monitor, played it, and he was like, sounds good to me. I was like, <laughs> no. and and that was the start of a long debate it was brutal man it was awful anyway yeah don't be too loud on stage don't be too loud on stage number four is an interesting one don't practice on the gig it's kind of of like this term that is thrown around a lot isn't it don't practice on the gig what does that mean for you wow well I just thought I
1: immediately thought of something, and now I wonder if that's actually what you're saying. I immediately thought of in a session when people are just noodling in between takes, but maybe that's not what you mean. Oh, that is what. Well, that
0: as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, that as well.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember. Doing that, everyone does that in the beginning, you know, you're playing your licks or whatever. And, you know, and everyone can hear you because you're on headphones or in-ears or something in a studio um, or, or in a practice space or too, to, like at live in between tunes um, or especially at a rehearsal. But I remember I really noticed this guy, Michael Bland, I've referenced him before, great Minneapolis drummer. He will sit, he will do a take. He'll, he'll, la- you know, he'll end the last take and then he will fold his arms and wait, and the sticks are kind of sticking up, you know, and he'll just fold his arms and he'll sit. And he'll talk, but he will not hit a drum, ever, unless asked to. Like, hey, you know, check your snare, make sure, and bang, 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 yeah, stops. Yeah. And how many drummers do you know? Or, I mean, it's not just drummers, but are going, and playing, like, playing some style oh, yeah. or, like, crazy busy that they're not, you know. And then the tune starts, and they're going, yeah, yeah. patch, pat, boom,
0: they're practicing some chops, they're just practicing yes, some
1: chops or whatever yeah. in between, yeah. Oh, like it is I a mean, real
0: thing, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And it really—I mean—I struggle with that, but I try in between stuff to turn my volume off. And then if I'm trying to work something out, maybe just work it out without the volume on. Um, but really, not try to play something that takes everyone out of the vibe of the thing that we're doing. I think that's yeah. really important. But but do you maybe mean? Practicing all the sick modal licks that you've been working on, when you you're playing "Don't man. Stop
0: Believing." <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. But it's both. Yeah, it's both. I think that, and, and I've definitely been guilty of both. Sure. Like, sure. def for me, it's more the first one actually. Okay, what okay. You, what you, what you were talking about, of in between. So, like, you're on the session, and and just for context, just to give people kind of like, so you can um, just imagine this. If everybody did this, it would be a complete like just noisy din <laughs> between the yeah. tapes, yes. right? If so, so it puts everybody. It kind of just it's like this unwritten thing where it kind of pisses everybody off, especially if they're experienced because they're just yep. because it feels like you're disrespecting other people. It's almost like you're going to talk really loud, ah, ah, you know, and nobody can talk. Because everybody's got to sit. Nobody else can sort of, like, d- start doing what you're doing because then it's going to sound crazy. So everybody has to kind of sit there weirdly while you noodle about yes instrument. And it's just, it's like this unwritten rule that I wish somebody had told me about when I was getting into this oh, game. Oh, me too.
1: Because real. It outs you as a noob <coughs> oh, right yeah. away too, right? Duh. Like, everyone's like, oh, yeah. okay, yep. I, it, it puts you in a position <laughs> of, like, click, you are like a like a C plus." Uh, experienced player, sort of like you know what
0: we've I mean. It's just like the, we've got one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, we've got one of those exactly, guys. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So don't do it. But to, but to your other point, yeah, don't practice while you're playing the mm-hmm. tune either, especially when it's wildly out of context. And I think that you had. Your, what was your example? You I mean, know, you know you're burning modal chops
1: th- over over like a journey yeah. tune over "Don't Stop Believing." You know,
0: like yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know. you're ripping out your sort of like your fallopian flat nine tune or whatever. <laughs> I mean, you like mode over sort of like "Don't Stop Believing." <laughs> I'm sure that this is going to fit in here somewhere. You know, you're like because that has happened as well. Like I haven't done as much of that, but I've definitely been. You know, I've been, yeah, I've been there and watched people for sure. do that. And I've just yeah. thought, what are you yeah. doing? This is completely bonkers, <laughs> you know. Like, sometimes what? it's like, like,
1: it's kind of like an inside joke, right? I mean, especially in event bands or wedding bands where like you've been playing, you know, brown eyed girl for a hundred years. And so then there's a moment where everyone is sort of like, you know, burn something and it's kind of like, ha, ha, ha. And I understand that, and i I get that, but I never like to do something at the expense of the song, even if it's a song that is really threadbare. Um, I love playing with people that actually care about the song, like the song is the thing that we're doing, and we're you know we're at somebody's event, respect that. I, I get it when people do it, but I don't like it. And I never, I mean, like I never try to do that to elicit like a funny response from somebody. (laughs) It just, I really don't (laughs) love doing that, but, uh, I get it. I mean, I also understand, um, it can be kind of like a wink in the band for something, you know, that everybody hates doing, but then like, man, at that point,
0: get a different gig. (laughs) You yeah, because yeah, it is contextual, isn't it? I, I think that on some gigs you can definitely experiment. You know, especially right. if it was like an improv gig or something. Of like course, that. yes, yes, more yes. more room for for experimentation. But definitely, if it's like a top forty thing or like a events thing, you've just got to nail it down. And it, and it, again, it depends on the context. Even even like something's come into mind. I can't remember what the girl's name was girl she wasn't a girl she was a lady she was I think she was from Minneapolis actually she was one of Prince's backing vocalists at one time think, oh, okay like back in the day but she was over here doing a gig I can't remember her name and I can remember <laughs> she kicked my ass um there was like a it's it, yeah I want to share this story because it's important because I think yeah. as bass players we ha- we have a, like a lot of Power in terms of the cool things that we can do, and sometimes it it just doesn't work out. This was one of those times. So we're playing playing this tune, and the chord sequence was doing its thing, and I'm playing the roots, and then I was like, "Hmm, I bet the bet the major third would sound great on the bottom of that chord there." Sure, right. So let's let's for instance say it's going to get it's going like C C C C. F F G G. Now, those weren't the chords, but let's say for a hypothetical um, moment it was, right? C, C, F, F, G, G. When it went back to the C, I was like, "Mm, I'm going to play a low E in the bass. It's going to sound cool, right? (laughs) You know what? it did sound cool. I did not think it cool, right. Right 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 right. Dude, she told me a new one. She was like old school. She like told me a new one. <laughs> and I've I've had that like a few times actually. Mm. It's it's actually a personal um issue of mine is it I'm very I really like to reharmonize things yeah, on the fly. It's sure. what I really like to do. I really like to do it. It's, it's kind of just sort of like I really dig harmony. I really like reharmonizing, and I really like to be experiment like experiment with bass notes and the chords. And I know enough about harmony to be able to do it well on the fly. Right. But it really doesn't like bode well in certain Yeah, I mean, you know. And I've definitely
1: got myself into trouble like sure. that in the past. There are other crews, though, that if you did that, people would go like, whoa! People would give you big claps for it, right? It's, it's yeah, totally yeah. contextual. Like, maybe in more yeah. of, like, a gospel R&B context. But in, like, a part-playing context, I can totally see. I mean, the gigs that I've done with Bland, too, like, he, he pays attention to the smallest things. I remember going from a G to a C through a B once. Boom, mm-hmm. boom, doo-doo. And he was like, and he has perfect pitch and he stopped. And he said, that's not the part, man. And I'm like, what are you, what? And he was like, you're getting to that C from a B, man. I hear you play that boom, 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 that three to four. It, it comes down from the D, man. It's the five boom, boom, beat up. That's what you got to play, boom. man. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it really matters. It, it matters. Like yes. Subject. That little yeah. stuff. It really matters. And what, what actually matters is figuring out. It all comes back to this thing that this isn't really about music. It's about PR. It's about people. Mm. Like you choosing to play the E over the C, the inversion, is not, that ne- not isn't always, always a bad choice. It's just that in that context with that band leader, you stepped on a landmine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. She was like, like well, "What are you doing?" Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And, then, and then, and then, so you're smart, and you're, and you're a good, you know, person who cares about this stuff. So then, I, I bet you didn't like then just do it more to annoy her. Then you're like, "Oh, got it." You file that away, <laughs> right? You file that away and say, "Aha!" Yeah, yeah. You have now just learned something about your band leader, right? In this context, that's yeah. not the right thing to do. But you know, again, you play that on a more of like a gospel forward gig, and people are freaking out, like. Like, the more you can reharmonize, the better. And you know, in some of those, yeah, I've had a yeah, few of those yeah. things, and I don't know how to do that as well, or I'm not as comfortable in that zone. But I remember like thinking about thinking about a third thing, and, and people going like, "Whoa!" You know, and, and loving it. Yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Amazing. I need to learn how to do this better. So it's just yeah, it's it's people, right? It's learning your band leader yeah oh man yeah so don't
0: practice on the gig don't throw any tritones in when you, when the notes. but exp- that's another one of mine oh you
1: know <laughs> tritone like, sounds mm,
0: yeah this d flat's gonna be great where that g7 is i've had to, oh man <laughs> oh great yeah dude. so as as ian said right at the top you know we were talking about we were trying to keep it real and be like hey we're just we're sharing this stuff not because we we know all of it Right, it's probably because probably we we've made all of these mistakes and <laughs> and continue to and, and do made, so and, co- and <laughs> you know? continue yeah. to do yeah. so. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one's number what were we on one two three four five. Oh, we're on number five, right? Number five. This this is actually um, one that I think is not not so obvious, but I think it's really interesting and definitely um, for a talking point. Number five: be consistent. Mm. Be consistent, and what I mean by that is. Uh, musicians that are really consistent, and and I'm I'm assuming that, what's that guy you were just talking about? The guy, the MD who heard that, yeah. I bet his consistency is just absolutely on the money. And any of those studio musicians, the really famous studio musicians, their consistency is just absolutely on the money. And it's something I've thought a lot about, I guess in conversations with Sean, like I've met Sean Hurley a few times, and and, when, and I've been there and watched him play, and it's just so consistent. It's his, just everything. Not only about like who he is is consistent. I mean, his playing is mm. so consistent. It's it's almost like you could, it's just perfect all the time. He it's and he and he's consistently great at it.
1: Like and break that down, are you talking specifically about his dynamic, about his articulation, about his like ostinato repetition, like what is the consistency yeah.
0: J- just just all of that all, all of it. those things, and yeah, all of it, yeah, it's just sort of like it's it's just perfect all of the time, and he's, he's consistently great he doesn't he doesn't really have like I'm sure we all have bad gigs right but sure. his bad gig is going to be great because it's <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he's yes. consistent you know what I mean like that yes. his yes. bad gig's going to be great because he's so consistent and right. he probably values like I've not really talked to Sean about like like if he values being consistent but what he's what he's talked to me on several occasions about is sort of like the cons- like consistency of notes making sure that all of the notes have the, the same kind of dynamic and being very consistent within his dynamics. And like, it is important to him, you know? And I think to all of those studio musos, it's definitely like this unsaid thing of consistency. So there's that side to it, but also consistency in terms of performance as well. Like, and a drummer comes to mind for me, a guy called Dave Keats, who I've not played with in, in, in many years, but I have played with him a lot in the past. And damn, that guy any gig that he just he did, he just he nailed it, and he just did it perfectly. Never overplayed. Never. I mean, he just and he was always super consistent. Oh, and what so a, that, and what a he, gift wasn't like, that is, right? Yeah, yeah, and he wasn't super chopsy, wasn't flash. He was just insanely consistent. Mm-hmm. Just, and his level was just great always. Yes, you know? and I think that it's again, it's sort of like. When you're getting into it, I didn't value that when I was, I just couldn't see it when I was getting into the into right. gigs and stuff as a pro musician. I just didn't see it. I didn't actually, because, because it, it's almost invisible in a way. You can't see that, right? You're sort of like, you can see the chops. You yes. Know, you can hear the slap. You can do all, or you can <laughs> hear the, you know, all of that stuff. Right. But you, you're not really looking at somebody going like, Man, they're so consistent. But at the end of the day, all of those guys, especially like that I know that are, that are really killing it in terms of gigs, keeping gigs. Yeah. Um, they're all they're all incredibly consistent. In what
1: they yeah, do. it's tough. That's a long game thing, right? I mean, the short game, like you talk about, you're hearing the slap, you're you know the flashy stuff. That's the thing that maybe in the beginning maybe impresses someone, right? Or like, oh wow, a good mm-hmm. player. But really, the keeping the gig thing. I mean, I think we're here. We're really talking about long game. I mean, we're talking about keeping a gig. Yeah. And boy, when you show up and you bring that consistency, I mean, and, and like you were saying, Scott, uh, it, it can be personally and it can be how you play, like show up with a great attitude, show up on time and be consistent in those areas as well. And then when you play, like I am always very wary of the musician that says, "Oh, I don't know, man. I never play the same thing twice." I'm like, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> that's like a super run red away, flag to run me. away. Yeah, that's like a red <laughs> flag. And again, I mean, just yeah. please, everybody, uh, take take me with a grain of salt. I am not in the jazz context that maybe Scott is. Um, you know, I'm in more of like a pop context. But when someone is like, "Oh, man, yeah, whatever. I just love to play. Uh, you know, kind of whatever. And I never play the same thing twice." I'm like that is such a tell of an inexperienced musician or maybe a musician that's coming maybe from more of an improv world that is not respecting more of like a pop uh, uh, or or rock or indie world, right? They're thinking more in kind of maybe a blues context or something. But boy, that is, um, it's so fun when you show up to a gig and there are players on it and you've played the same songs for a few times and you know that they're gonna do it the same way that they did it on the last gig that felt so great. Like, you know, I play September. Everybody plays September by Earth, Wind & Fire at, you know, at a gig, right? And, And the players that show up that I know that they're gonna, they're going to do it like, like the record, but maybe with a little extra flair in parts and they always kind of do this thing. And it's so cool. Like I look forward to that. I actually look forward to consistency. And then when there's a little surprise here and there that pops out, that feels like it's just adding to energy arc or adding to uh, the tune or responding to somebody, then that, then that stuff is so welcome. But when it's kind of like, always there's different things happening and we just don't have a place like a form or a arrangement of jumping off then that's when i start to feel like this isn't consistent and consistency is a great one it's that's a really good one
0: it is also just to i just before you move on as well just just to point out as well that I've, i've played with people i guess consistency it's broad isn't it i think that that's what i'm getting to because there is like players that I've played with that are very inconsistent. Like sure. there's two players jump into mind. Obviously I'm not going <laughs> to name any names, um, but there's two players um, I'm thinking about in the past, one a, one a drummer and one a guitar player actually. And emotionally when I did those gigs with those guys, um, I actually, I can remember thinking, I hope, I hope this, I hope they do a good one. I hope they're good on this gig. Ah, So check it out. So, so musically, They were great so they had the talent they had the chops and all of that had the time all of that but they were actually really inconsistent and where they were inconsistent was actually focus Mm. so if they were like in it sort of like engaged they were great but if they weren't and they were sort of like they turned up and they were thinking about sort of like what they were going to eat for breakfast tomorrow and that kind of shit right Their consistency consistency just went to toffee. It was just like, it was awful. Mm. And they just played a really bad gig. Right. So I think that it's interesting for, you know, the listeners, you know, tuning in that you can be a great musician and have all of that stuff together. But if you are not like locked in and actually engaged, focused, your consistency can go to shit. It can totally like really harm you. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. And people pick up on it so quickly and then you will yeah. lose the gig and you might wonder why. <laughs> right. You might yeah, lose that yeah, gig absolutely. and you go, geez, I, I thought I was, I don't know, I'm a good player. I'm a good, you know, but. That's why you're listening to this podcast, everybody, to get the commandments. <laughs> you're keeping the gig. After this, I mean, geez, man, I, I'm going to go back and listen to this, and I'm going to take some notes for myself. I'm like, Ugh, <coughs> this has been sliding for me lately.
0: <laughs> okay. I got to up my game, man. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm yeah. with you. Uh, number six, actually, is um, this was in last week's as well. Number six is be a great communicator via email, via text, fast. Prompt replies. Oh, yes. If you've got the gig, you don't want to be the dude or the dudette on the gig that is just a pain in the ass to get hold of. Oh, yeah. look at Ian's dropping his well, head I down. Just, just there's a little bit. A there's, <laughs> there's a little bit of shame in there, Ian. A little <laughs> close to home for a few things, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's I know. Very true. Me too. Me too. I've I've been great with it in the past. I go. To, I fluctuate with this one. When when it's really important to me. So when I you know when I was in a situation where I wanted to sort of like be very employable on the scene and stuff yeah. like that, I was so shit hot when it came to, um, to this. But yeah. Now I'm just, I'm a little loose, <laughs> a little loose man, a little loose man. Anyway, moving on, moving
1: on. Oh, like, uh, let's move on. Okay. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Uh, number seven is be a great hang. Be cool. Be enthusiastic and don't be overbearing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, important. so important. So important. Yeah. In fact, I I learned this through, um, because we kind of sort of like, it's all around us when we're gigging, when we're touring, when we're doing that thing, it's all around us, but you know these kind of little moments in these inflection points in life where somebody says something and you're like and it kind of like gives you a glimpse inside the matrix. Well there was a guy here in Leeds, had a, a bunch of bunch of great gigs. Um and his plane was eh yeah eh, you know what i mean like super average super average sure but great guy so i'm talking it's you no know, steve right so i'm, I'm talking to steve i'm having a few beers after a show i think we're on the same bill and i can't remember what i asked him but it was something along the lines of dude like how come you, you get some great gigs man like I, I i am like just just for context i'm like super unhustly like I'm probably the least hustly person you, you've ever met. See, so it it, I'm trying to think of what, how I would have phrased it, but it was so, it was probably me saying, "Dude, man, you get some great gigs. I'm really pleased for you, or whatever it is yeah. that you are. Yeah. You know, what a great spot you're in right now, whatever it was." And he, he's, he 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 replied and he was like, "Do you know why I get all the gigs?" And I was like, "No, why do you get all the gigs?" And he was like, "Man, I get all the gigs because I'm super easy to hang out with, and I'm and I, and I make everybody feel great." And I was like, and it was, <laughs> wow. and it's obvious, but yeah. it obvious. Yeah. Just him saying it, and then he went on to say, he was like, look, I know I'm not the best bass player. He said, I know that. He said, you know, I'll never be that guy. He said, but if you're coming on tour with me, if he said, I'm really dialed in to making fe- people feel comfortable and yeah. people feel like a family. And he was, he was like the guy that just pulled everybody together socially. He was. I, it was it's hard really to describe but he just had some this warmth this energy you kind of sort of like when he's older you'd be like oh man i wish that guy was my dad he's that kind of guy yes man. he's always yes. been that guy and he was like that's why i get all the gigs yeah that's why i got all the gigs and just to add to that he was actually really consistent and his tone and sound was great as well so he might not be in a great the greatest player but he but he had his shit together right but he was just that's he was just saying, you know, that thing. And it was at that point that I thought, ooh, you know, it's really, and, and that kind of made me reflect on uh, what am I like, like socially for sure. on a gig, like, because I'd never really reflected on it. And I think that I'm probably just, you know, put my hand, I think I'm a little intense. In fact, I know I'm intense. Sure. Probably too intense. I'm not. You know, I'm not the I'm not the sort of like the huggy. Uh, well, actually, I'm super huggy, but <laughs> but maybe a little like, in an intense way. <laughs> sure, I'm sort of like yeah. Come here. I'm not, like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm super <laughs> like that. I'm super like that. COVID was my worst enemy because like, I was oh, the huggy too. guy. Me too.
1: Me too. Actually. I'm, oh man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huggy I'm a, guy too. Yeah.
0: I'm a big hugger man. But yeah, but it made me think. It, well, it just it was the penny drop. I looked inside the matrix and I was like, ah. Oh, You've got to make people feel really comfortable. You can't be overbearing. You can't talk too much about yourself. You can't command the conversation. All of those things. It's just sort of like you've got to pay attention to them if you are... Maybe like me, or like you, like somebody else. Like sure, me, for sure. I'm I'm a, I'm a bit intense. But maybe if you if I have like a dark, like some people I know have got a bit, bit of a dark personality, you know, right. a little bit depressive and and that kind of thing. You know, that's not me. But again, you've just got to be aware of how you're making people feel in in on the gig in the room. You know, with man. Your, Absolutely, your, your co musicians. It,
1: yes, and it's so easy to talk about, and everybody talks about it. But it's e- it, the hard thing is that it takes self awareness and self respect and self esteem. It takes mm. you being really comfortable in your own skin, and so it's not really yeah. something that you can practice. It's not really something that you can say like. Well, if I leave the house 10 minutes earlier, it's going to solve this problem of being late. Like there's a very simple way to solve that just logistically, but being a good hang is more nebulous. I think I I will just say that what I have encountered in terms of a, a tangible way to start to solve this problem is if you are super prepared for the gig and you're not nervous and you don't need to ask tons of questions about what happens on this bridge and that bridge. Yeah. yeah. I think the prep actually for me helps me then to just to be in, to be uh, talking about kids, talking about the movies, talking about, you know, just to like to be a hang when I feel like I'm nervous or I'm not going to cut it, I don't belong, when, I'm, when it's the self-doubt or uh, imposter syndrome stuff that's creeping in, that's, I think, what makes me feel a little too intense or a little like I'm going kind of over the top because maybe I don't feel like I deserve to be there. Or I haven't done the work to be there or something. But when I feel the most like myself and the most comfortable in my skin is when the preparation for the job is long past and I can actually just, like, look someone in the eye and talk about music or movies or family or whatever and just be in that space yeah. and kind of go with the flow. Um, that, that for me, is, like, a tangible way to increase my level of hang, you know?
0: Yeah, like, I definitely need to do work on this, man. I'm just, yeah, I'm a little intense. I'm, I'm definitely a little... I'm just intense. I'm intense, and I... <laughs> what's it is it commanding the conversation I, I've got a really bad habit of dragging the conversation to somewhat to, to sort of like something that interests me I'm a bit sort of like I think with Lisa you know I mean like Lisa's like Scott what like what are you talking about she was like I just asked you about sort of like this thing and you, you said like three sentences and now you're talking about something completely different. It's like this automatic thing. I'm really good at it. I'm sort of like, <laughs> you asked something, within sort of like 30 seconds, I kind of grabbed that thing that you wanted to talk about. and sort of like yes. this yes. other thing. You're oh. like, have you seen the new F bass, Lisa? <laughs> You know? Exactly. Oh yeah, that's exactly one. She yeah. just yeah. She said, I'm so bad at it. Oh, said, I am I'm too so bad man. at it. Yeah. I am too.
1: I need to really watch yeah. that. Uh, just just a quick story. I was on a tour, um, and there was an artist that was opening this big tour. It was uh, I was out with Hutchinson supporting Kelly Clarkson. There was an artist mm. that had paid a lot of money to open this tour, and that happens where like someone wants a 20 minute opening slot, and then they're nobody. They want the exposure, so you pay for that exposure. And this artist, she was great. Um, But green. And she had a father who was a, a wealthy, wealthy oil guy in Texas. And at any moment, if he was talking to you, he wore a cowboy hat and boots. And, and at any moment, if he could turn the conversation to something of his interest, he would. I'll never forget. Eric has this little dog named Elmer, who's a chihuahua with big ears, adorable dog. And is holding the dog. And I remember this guy came up and said, hey, man, your dog kind of looked like a bat. And Eric said, oh, okay. And he's like, you like bats? And we said, uh. And he's like, you like the Batmobile? And we said, yeah. And he's like, check this out. And he opened his phone and then he proceeded to show us his airplane hangar full of Batmobiles. Like he collected (laughs) Batmobiles. All the eras, special builds. (laughs)
0: I me feel better about myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I just,
0: yes, because, I mean, dude,
1: everybody does this, right? I mean, I do it too. I feel myself doing yeah, it, especially yeah, with my wife, yeah. talking about opportunities or something cool or, you know, something cool I'm doing with SBL or on a gig or, you know, yeah, yeah, I do yeah, that yeah. too. But this guy was the ultimate. I'll never forget. He saw an opportunity. He thought the dog looked like a bat. He really wanted to show us his huge collection of batmobiles, <laughs> and that was his in to put his big phone... In front of us and show us all of his Batmobiles. So you're not so bad, Scott. It's all good. He looks like a bat. You like bats?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it makes it extra funny because he has a cowboy hat on. <laughs>
1: yeah, it really did, man. It really did. Yes. Um, oh. It was just, it was, a, it was such a funny character. He was such a character. It was unbelievable. Yeah
0: oh man amazing (laughs) okay so that was number seven be a great hang be cool be enthusiastic but not overbearing yeah number eight is go the extra mile now what what i mean by that is carry the gear pick somebody up oh yeah write out some charts that's cool put in more prep like just go the extra mile when you can there is a gazillion opportunities to go like in all you know All of these sort of like gigging scenarios or rehearsal scenarios or recording studio scenarios is always like a load of ways you can go the extra mile. Always take it. Always take it.
1: Well, that's so good. And you use the word opportunity and that is exactly it. Instead of thinking like, this guy always, this guy never brings a nine volt battery and he always asks for one or... this person always needs to get picked up or uh, there's never, there's never food at the solve it. What if you're the person that, you know, decides, Hey, you know what? This gig, part of the gig is bringing the nine volt battery for the guitar player. (laughs) Or like, like if you can, I mean, you don't want to be walked all over, but you also, instead of seeing those things as pains in your ass, seeing them as opportunities to keep the gig, right? Opportunities to be an invaluable part of something. Um, I just feel like, you know, in a band, like if you're in a band and you're all traveling on the road together, like in a van you probably don't necessarily want to feel like you're just the person that's going to solve everything, right? But if there is that opportunity, man, like, oh, you know, if there's a drummer that you work with, I think Hurley was talking about this, like, make sure the drummer gets food, the drummer on a session, make sure the drummer is happy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like hydrated and fed. And I've thought about that since. And I've been on some sessions where I'm like, hey, to the drummer, like, do you need to do you need to eat I, I, like should we should we get sustenance like i wouldn't that be you know <laughs> because a happy drummer right like, that makes the that makes the world go round nobody wants a grumpy drummer no nobody wants no oh or a grumpy band leader or singer i mean oh. I, I subbed in a band yeah. too where i couldn't believe it i would watch this singer And he was the band, he was the band, he was the draw. He would be schlepping all of the merch and he would be out on stage in his suit, checking his monitor before every gig. Here's, Here's one thing everyone can do. If you're working with a singer-songwriter, guess what they don't like to do? They don't like to walk out in their cool outfit and go check, 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 one, two, check, (laughs) check, in the microphone before the frickin' show. So guess what you do? Pay attention to how they like their monitor and offer to dial in their station for them. Tune their guitar, walk up, get their wedge set, and then they walk out, pick up the guitar, and you start the show like that is something yes. that everyone can do and it is a huge game changer. I started to do that for Eric Hutchinson and he was like, "Hey, will you just kind of be my tech?" I'm like, yes. So, tune his guitars, yeah. get his monitor station set. I text him when, you know, everybody gets out on stage, we play, run some stuff. I text him when we're ready. "Hey, boss, we're ready for you." He shows up, puts on his guitar, maybe needs to make one or two small changes, but It's dialed. It's ready to go. He doesn't want to be up there for that whole time. It's not all that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Respect that position. And you can do that at a local level. Anybody listening to this is thinking like, oh, yeah, my singer does kind of, you know, and resist that thing of thinking like, oh, the singer's the prima donna and they should work really hard for. No. Like, what if you decide to respect that position and try to make that position even uh, more easy to be a part of? You will keep that gig. You'll
0: keep that gig. Yeah exactly exactly that's a great one man i really love that um number nine two more to go oh here we go actually this was this was number 10 for the last one actually for the 10 commandments of getting the gig number nine is be curious ask questions don't be the silent kid at the back of the class yeah again you know just be open to just finding out all of the stuff that you need to know and if you're unsure of anything just put your hand up and ask because people really respect that and then it means that, like for me, I I was in a situation where I kept on, it was like I was doing this jazz band thing. I was like in my early 20s, I wasn't really that experienced. And and the endings, the endings of the tune in um when you're playing a standard in a in a jazz scenario, man, like a bunch of different things can happen. Bu- and they're not written down. Right. And I just didn't know them. So yes. I can remember doing this gig and thinking. I just keep messing up these 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 endings. And I'd done like two gigs with this band. And and I just thought, well, I could carry on doing it. Yeah. And everybody's obviously a little annoyed with me. Yes. Like they're not saying anything, but they're a little annoyed. So I yes. one or two choices. I could just keep pissing people off. Right. And ultimately, they would have just grown tired of me and possibly let me go or I would have just ruined every tune at the end of it and they just thought (laughs) who is this kid right so I went to the MD and I said I'm really struggling with these endings I'm really struggling with these endings what can I do to to to, to basic to to sort of like make sure that I'm nailing these endings with you and he was like oh it's easy so and then he just sat down he was like well you know there's a bunch of different ways of ending these tunes but in general it's like three or four and he said yes. and then he just showed me them and he was like i'll give you a shout you know to let you know what's going on and then you know in the next time we're playing the tunes and, and and we'll take it from there you know two weeks went by and then i had all of the t- the end yes. nailed everything was great and it was huge and i just and i was really pleased in the moment of the choice that I made, I was like, fuck, that was the right choice. Because yes. I'd never really been in a, in a situation like that before. I'd I, I just kind of sort of like, well, I probably had, but I'd probably just not said anything. Right. And maybe it just sort of like I, I'd had it as enough of the situations to be like, oh, actually, this is damaging. When, when I don't say something, when I don't ask a question, it's actually damaging. So I flipped it, went and asked the question, and it was great And then from that moment onwards, again, one of those kind of like, you know, sort of like kinks in the road where you take a a different, yeah, you do something a little differently and you learn that lesson that stuck with you for life. That was definitely one for me. So after that moment, it's always just ask the question. Yes. Because they, they know that you're messing up. Right, they hear it every They're time. They're just not saying it. Yeah, when, you're, when you think that they don't know or you're hoping that they know, they don't know, look, they know. They, they know. know. yeah. Exactly, man. <laughs> so yeah, so just be curious and ask as many questions as possible. Yeah, and this is about accountability. This is, and,
1: and it's about self-worth, um, you know, uh, self-esteem, awareness. And it's hard. It is hard to be the person. You want to be the guy that knows all the cool jazz endings. But if you're not, Ask where this really lands for me is references in the studio. Someone saying, "Oh, I'll do that Tame Impala thing." If you don't know what that is, you got to find out what it is, and the easiest way to do that is to admit that you don't know and say. Can you just play that for me? I mean, I lost my exactly. first studio gig, right? You just, exactly. and nobody is going to be like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, I mean, obviously you want to know some of the big, big references. I mean, I lost my first studio gig. I mean, I've told that story about, you know, the Paul yeah. McCartney thing. And I was like, oh, and I, I didn't really know the reference. I knew the name, didn't know the reference, tried it, didn't admit it. It was like, oh yeah, I got it. I got it tried it, failed, fired, <laughs> right? So yeah. so if you can just admit, say, you know what? Ah, oh, I haven't dived, dove into that catalog. Can you just play me a reference? Typically people are totally happy to do that. A re- another really good one. Um, with uh, Hutchinson. When I joined that band, I found out that he was a huge Elvis Costello fan and I knew some of the big hits, but I didn't know a catalog. And I, we'd been around each other a lot and he, he would bring it up. He would say, Oh, you know, Bruce Thomas, um, from that first Costello band. And I would, and I was just like, yeah, right. yeah. And I kind of, and I kind of thought I knew cause I've listened to watching the detectives and you know, I, I, I get it, but I didn't really know. So there was a moment he really loves, Eric loves making playlists. And I was like, Hey, would you ever consider making me, um, a Costello playlist, and he was like, oh. I would love to. And he made me this, like, 60 song through the ages, complete with notes of, like, okay, here's the early stuff. This is post-marriage to Diana Krall. Listen to what happened to his sound. And what it was, then I listened to it. And what it was was a bonding experience. (laughs) Then we became homies as a result of me not just sort of, like, pretending puffy-chested that I knew all of his references. I was like, man, I, I would actually like to know more. Would you be willing to do this? And he was thrilled to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, ask the questions, just be brave enough to say that you don't know something, you know?
0: Yeah, like I think there's so much damage people like put them put themselves through unnecessarily in yeah. terms of sort of like their trajectory of their career by just not being honest. I don't know why we I, yeah, I don't know why yeah. we do this. It's fucked up, isn't it? I mean like why do we do, humans, we're strange beasts aren't we? We're really strange. We, not, like for you, yeah. That you, on that that first opportunity, you know the the Paul McCartney one where you said, and if anybody hasn't listened, like Ian basically said, the guy was like, hey, like a like a Paul McCartney kind of baseline, and he was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah don't worry about it. I'm going <laughs> to nail this, yeah, whatever, and had no clue oh. what a Paul McCartney baseline sounded like, oh. and obviously yeah. lost the gig. It and was, just on the flip, can imagine if it, it would have gone like this, if it, you know, like a Paul McCartney kind of baseline, and you could have said. You know what? I've not actually listened to many Beatles tunes. Which, like, what two or three Beatles tunes do you think, like, really would give me a taste of that specific, like, that kind of baseline? line? Yes. For? And the guy would have probably been like, oh, kind of like a, you want to check out this, that, and the other. And you'd be like, oh, wicked. Okay, I'm just going to take a quick listen. But the engineer is not going to, or the MD, they're not going to freak out. They're just going to, it's going to no. be great. And and in fact, in fact, it's the
1: opposite. It gives them an opportunity for leadership. It gives them (coughs) an opportunity to show how much they know and to talk about the things that they like, you know, typically when someone throws out a reference, it's something that they're really familiar with and that they really like. So, you know, if someone says a name of a band and you don't know what that is, To pretend to know, I mean, I just just think it comes from ego and from fear. Like, you don't... Mm. The fear of not being one of the cool musicians that knows all the references is too great. That's usurping (laughs) your vulnerability to say, you know what, I actually don't know that because then you might be outed as the not cool musician, you know, but really it's the opposite. If you own that stuff, if you go, Oh, that's something that I know that I need to get into. Can you provide me a way in to that catalog of music? Then typically MDs, producers, engineers, whatever, like, yeah, man. Oh, check this out. Have you heard, you know, and they're pulling it up and everybody's having a Spotify party at that point. And so give people the opportunity to do that. Let people show you music. Don't pretend like you know
0: it all. You know, absolutely, man, absolutely. I need to call myself out on so. I bet I do this already. I I'm like in, in that. I bet I better still do it now. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a real effort to just keep an eye on that do, one because I still I think do it now too. And
1: yeah, I feel yeah. myself if it's a thing where someone just, especially if it's followed up by like, oh well, you know, like I'm talking to a bass player that I admire or something, and they're like, oh yeah, well that thing, like you know that thing, it's so much easier to say. Yeah, and let the conversation keep rolling.
0: As opposed, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on,
1: yeah. I don't know that, and like, oh well.
0: Yeah. And, and <laughs> right. also, like, scenarios that aren't within music as well. Like, there was a few that I was thinking of when we were just having this conversation. Just thinking, shit, am I doing that now in different yeah. conversations outside of music? I bet I am. Anyway, I'm gonna, yep. I'm gonna keep an eye on that for myself. Yeah, I need to. Okay, so. number ten. This yeah. is it. Number ten. Number ten is, and this is similar to the bonus tip the bonus tip for the 10 commandments to getting the gig the bonus tip was practice your ass off whenever you can ultimately your your bass playing is where the book stops number 10 for the commandments to keep in the geek is be continually trying to, to try to improve yourself and your playing yeah just continually trying to do a better job of what you're doing and that could be like broad strokes, it could be your playing, it could be your social vibe, what you like to hang out with, like the energy you're turning up with, the focus on the gig when we talked about being you know consistent and I think what it what it really is is many different things, but just be i guess aware of aware of all of these elements and continually trying to push them forward and improve. yeah and knowing that knowing that we can all improve in many different areas.
1: Oh, it's so, it's so true. I mean, and the ones that to me that stick out that I need to work on the most, the communication aspect about getting back to people in a timely manner, that's something that I can, need to, and will be better, be better at. I must, I must do that. And I also too get kind of complacent on gigs where, you know, I've played the same thing for a long time and maybe I'm not listening. I I can always do a better job of like listening and responding instead of thinking all like bass first. Something that I really try to do and need to continually get better at is listen to the vocal Listen to the drummer, like, like like really just listen to everything except for me, especially on things where I feel like I'm good. I'm, I'm, I've played this a lot. I'm not going to now reinvent this wheel. What I need to do now is be more dynamic. I need when the singer starts to sing, I need to bring my level, my dynamic down from an eight to a six. And then in a pre-chorus, I need to bring it up to a seven. And then in the chorus, I need to be at a nine. You know, some small details like that where I'm not thinking so much about what's the cool fill I'm going to play or what's, like, but being really a part of this band and how best to, like, make everyone else sound good. I think that's, like, the continual thing for me of, like, I always
0: need to be working at that. Yeah, yeah. Me too, man. Me too. I'm going to work on all this stuff. I'm looking at the list now. There's a lot. (laughs) I need to put a lot of work in. (laughs) But that's the best bit, right? That's the best bit. It's it's cool.
1: Of course, yes. Yeah, and don't hear Scott and I saying, like, we know because we do all this stuff perfectly. These are all things that everybody struggles with, and we struggle with, of course, just as much as anybody else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's run over them one more time, and then we'll call it. So number one, prepare your ass off when possible. Number two, be early or don't be late. Yeah, don't be late. Number, Number three, don't be too loud. Number four, don't practice on the gig. Number five, be consistent Six, be a great communicator via text and email, fast and prompt replies. And number seven, be a great hang, be cool, be enthusiastic and don't be overbearing. Number eight, go the extra mile, carry gear, pick somebody up, write out some charts, whatever you can do. Look for opportunities where you can go the extra mile. Number nine, be curious and ask questions. Do not be the silent kid at the back of the class. And number 10, be continually trying to improve yourself in all of these areas. And obviously, you're playing as well.
1: I want to ask you this, is there a bonus tip? Is there an 11? There's no
0: bonus tip, man. Have you got a bonus? Tip? <laughs> oh, I wish I'd, I asked you and now
1: I'm not prepared to I'm not prepared to give you a bonus tip. Um here's okay, sure. I'll give you one. Uh, and this this one is this one is maybe kind of a no-brainer, but it's something that I just heard JMJ say, Justin Melville Johnson, the great JMJ, talks about one of the best things that you can possibly do for your trajectory in music is just really have a broad palette of music listening so instead of Mm -hmm. thinking always about gear i mean you know like always about gear or licks or grooves or (laughs) right to really 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 spend some of that time if that's you if that's you or where you're not listening to a lot of music i talk to people who say like oh man you know I don't really listen to a lot of new music. I listen to podcasts. I listen to comedy shows. I watch Netflix. Wow. Well, I feel that way too. Um, And I'm trying uh, to increase my listening because if you listen to more music, you just have, you're more steeped in the language. You understand more references. Immediately when someone plays something, it calls to mind something else. It helps you write baselines. People that ask me, you know, in Student Focus or around uh, SBL, like, how do you write baselines? It's like, well, yes, you have to have vocabulary. You have to be able to you know, know what the chord tones are, but also you have to have yeah. listened to a lot of music. Listening to music is such a great way to improve all of this stuff. It'll give you things to talk about with your bandmates. It will uh, experience you in learning new lines or picking up new sounds, uh, learning new tones. Like, wow, that's kind of a cool sound. Like all these things that we're talking about today may actually be helped by just simply endeavoring to listen to more music in general. I don't know, what do you think of that?
0: I no yeah, no, absolutely. I think that it's what I fall down a little bit in that area. Too. Me too. I think that I used to be I used to be great, but for whatever reason as I've got older I think that like, oh, I don't know what is. Um, I'm gonna say I listen to less music. Sure. <gasps> yes. But yeah, but of
1: course, right? Because you have so many other responsibilities, and you're, you know, you're you're flying this ship, right? I mean, and you know, you're like, I can't be bothered with yeah. listening to music. I'm flying the ship.
0: <laughs> right. Do you know what? I, do you know what? I wonder what it is as well. And we should definitely do like a, 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 a like a, an episode on this in the future. I wonder if it's because it's so readily available nowadays. I feel like, you know, I feel like when I was younger, I used to have to sort of, like, fight to yeah, get the, I get know the what good you mean. stuff. You yes. know, like, oh, man, it was like I used to go down the record store and I'd sort of, like, try and find the record. that I haven't got it in. Maybe they'll get it in next week. And it was sort of like there was this consistent battle, and then you'd finally get it, and then you'd like listen to it yeah. because there was this this because you'd freaking you'd battled to get the damn thing special. in the first place,
1: it was right? Special, yes, it
0: was special. And then you'd listen to it yeah. for weeks and weeks and weeks, all of the songs. And there was this because of the pain that you'd put into getting it, and because it just wasn't sort of like instantly just all on tap all of the time whenever you wanted it. You just had a different relationship with it once you got it. And now it's just like, it spews it. It's a fire hose of music. It's a fire hose. (laughs) There's no pain. There's There's no kind of like barrier to entry. You don't have to put any work into getting the thing. And because it's all instantly available, I think that that, I think it just... Yeah, it, it alters our relationship with music somewhat, and I think that, for sure, yeah, and, and that's what it's been like for me, for sure. And I think that it's like this in many different ways, isn't it? I think that you you want what you need to work for, you know, you really want it because it's, it's so true for it, you know. Yep. You know, whether it be sort of like actually working or just, you know, just you know you're like excited about it but you can't get it and you know you're sort oh, of like oh i know oh! i know i mean you know and yeah. but
1: but it will never return to just vinyl or you know or compact discs and you know like right? streaming is here forever presumably let me say this yeah. two things that have helped my music intake um, there's a radio station in Minneapolis called The Current. It's connected to NPR, which is National Public Radio. And it's wonderful. It's uh, like an alternative music station, and they're playing a ton of different stuff. So it's a bunch of different genres, and it's curated, and it's cool. And they, to me, have some of the hippest stuff. It's 89.3. There's an app. It's called The Current. There's an app for it, too. You can stream it anywhere. It's unbelievable. Um, so I that is essentially just going in our house 24-7, even at night. I just kind of turn it down, but it's still kind of on in the kitchen. It's on all the time. And I am frequently hearing things there that maybe then I'll grab my bass. I'll go like, ooh, what's that? I mean, that's how I first heard about Lizzo. It's how I first heard about, oh, I don't know. I think think Tame Impala. Like all these bands that have blown up, I heard about first on The Current. So if you have a radio station that you can just have on kind of in the background, chances are something will kind of ping you and pull you in. The second thing, and this is harder. The second thing is when someone that you love, respect, admire, whatever, someone in your orbit says, Hey man, you got to check out this record. Do it instead of going. Yeah. yeah. So here's it. Right. Here's I do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. I need to check that out. Here's what you do instead. This is, and, and I'm talking to myself, you take your phone, you go Say it again. I'm going to, you know, and you open your note that says, you know, recommended music and you put it in there and then you really try to work on, you, you try to listen to that stuff when you're thinking, ah, I need to listen to something. You open that thing and go, oh man, Scott told me to check this thing out. I'm going to do that yeah. right now on yeah. my drive to the, you know, and it's, that's hard work,
0: but it is so worth it. It's so worth it, dude. Dude, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Man, we are gonna have to call it because um (laughs) I'm getting uh I'm getting texts from Lisa saying, Dude, where are you? (laughs) (laughs) Dinner's on the table.
1: (laughs) Hey, dinner dinner is on the freshly sanded table that Lisa painstakingly Oh
0: yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That Instagram post killed me, dude. I loved it. We've been been eating on the carpet, like on trays for the last two days, because she won't let us go on the table. Seriously. Anyway, dudes, thanks so much for listening. Yes. We will see you next week. Take it easy. See you in a bit. Bye. Cheers, everybody.